Welcome to the Carry On Podcast. This is your host, Lindsay Rowland. Who hasn't at one point thought about becoming a lawyer? Luke McClure made it happen. From the Marine Corps to the prosecutor's office, we are here today with Luke to find out how he made it happen and what his advice is for those who want to transition from the military into a law degree. Hi, Luke. Thank you for being here today. Thank you very much for having me. Could you start out a little bit and talk about yourself and how you ended up in the Marine Corps? Certainly. So I'm from Minnesota, like probably many people. I started college with no real aim or purpose and wasn't quite sure how I was going to pay for it when a recruiter called, read me a script, and I sort of thought, that sounds good. I went to go check it out. I didn't really have a ton of thought beyond, I want to have some skills when I get out of the military. So I knew I didn't want to be infantry, which it's not true. You have lots of skills when you get out of your infantry. And I didn't want to be a cook. And so I just picked military police out of, out of the hat. And how long, how long did you serve in the Marine Corps? So my enlistment was pretty standard, four years, and then four years of inactive ready reserves. Okay. So you were in the Marine Corps and then you did, but you did some college prior to getting into the service. How far did you get in, in your education? I got as far as a whole semester of community college where my GPA was like an animal house GPA, like enough to be legally drunk, but not making the honor roll. That's how aimless I was. I wasn't ready for college. And so then after doing some time in the Marine Corps, you came out and then where did you go to get your undergrad? Yeah. So I should talk about that transition. A weird thing (laughs) happens. I love, love being an MP. It couldn't have been a better fit for me. The military was fantastic because if you were semi-competent, They gave you every opportunity to do things that the civilian world would never let you do. And it was awesome. And I had a really hard time deciding whether I wanted to make a career out of it or get out. It was a really tough decision for me. I felt like you either do four years or 20. But in the end, I thought, I do want to finish school. That's a goal of mine. And now I have the GI Bill. And the funny thing about the Marine Corps when I was in... Minnesota is the only state that I know of that did this, but all the new guys coming in said, Hey, I got a five-year contract. And I said, why? Because there's some stupid state that has a requirement. You do five years enlisted to get the equivalent of a two-year degree. That was my state. So they didn't honor any of my military credits. I finished with 109 college credits, nine upper level. And then in Minnesota, because we're special, I was told I had to go to school all over again to get a degree in criminal justice. So that was quite frustrating. So where did you go to get your degree? So I started back at the community college. I left to get my generals. um, Very appropriate. And very cost-effective. I was under the old GI Bill at the time, and we hadn't yet been awarded a year of the new one. And then I transitioned to a, a pretty popular law enforcement school in my state. And I decided I wanted a four-year degree because that would just be better for what you're doing with careers. And it was excellent. I was able to do it debt-free. I was very mindful of how much support I'd get each month and how much it would cost. And I was very pleased with my choice. Part of me felt like I was missing out on the traditional four-year experience, but I got plenty of that in the Marine Corps. As I went through school, however, I started to change my mind. A lot of my licensures expired that had been active and I'd have to go redo all that training. I found myself just frustrated that I was doing all this work just to get back to doing what I had already been doing in the Marine Corps. So at what point did you decide, because you didn't go back to school to become a lawyer, I know you have to go to law school for that, but like at what point did you decide 
that the law path was going to be the path that you were going to choose. So what was changing at the time, and I didn't have a clear direction at the time, I just started to sour a little bit on a career in law enforcement, not because of anything about the career itself. I loved it. I was passionate about it, but more with just the system in Minnesota. They didn't have the academy system where people are weeded out. So I looked to my left and right and short of some other veterans, I can't imagine doing this job with many of these folks. And what was particularly helpful is my school believed in having a teacher that actually worked in the community. So for example, one of the law enforcement classes was taught by the deputy chief of St. Paul. All of the law classes were taught by practicing lawyers. They bring in guest speakers like federal prosecutors, Supreme Court judges. And I love those classes. And I started to think, maybe I could do that. That sounds like something fun. I already have the law enforcement background. I like criminal law. And so the idea was at least planted in my head at that time. So did you finish your four-year degree then, or did you transfer to a different school? That's correct. I finished my degree in criminal justice. I was, I'm not going to make this sound more illustrative than it was. I was in the civil sector. You know, I had a job in college where I was a security guard. And I got a little taste of that, of the limited options if I didn't go to more schooling. Also at the time, the new GI Bill came out and someone had the foresight to say, hey, those guys in under the old GI Bill, we should give them one free year. That really was key for me in deciding to go further in school. And so I got my bachelor's all debt free. I worked. Oh, nice. It was nice. And that's thanks to the GI Bill and some planning. But I knew I had a little bit left over and I had that new GI Bill that paid your tuition directly. So at that time, I started leaning towards thinking about higher education, maybe a master's degree. I wasn't quite set on the law yet, although I wanted to do something in the realm of criminal law. And I got a job actually in the interim after graduating with my undergrad as a paralegal. That job just happened to be a lawyer who worked in municipal prosecution, where I'm from. That means everything below a felony. Cities contract prosecutors to represent the state for gross misdemeanors and below. And it was really easy for me. I was familiar with reading police reports. I was familiar with how to type up probable cause statements. I knew all the paperwork from day one with a practical understanding that you just, you can't teach someone. It's it's a lot different, for example, to have a stranger read a report about a crime and then have the experience of actually been to crimes and written reports myself. So it was a very good fit. And my boss actually encouraged me to go to law school. That's when I started to really get serious about going to more school. How do you recommend to others looking at law schools to like to find the right one or the right fit? That was a tough decision for me. And now knowing what I know in hindsight, I'm really glad I didn't care that much about the prestige of the school. It truly doesn't matter for most legal work. Unless you're thinking of being in a John Grisham movie and working for a huge firm and spending 80 plus hours a week, then it will matter. Then you want to go to Harvard or Yale or a fancy, what they call tier one schools. What I really liked about Mitchell is their slogan is it's geared towards a practical degree, like being good in theory and better in practice is their slogan. And so that was important to me. It was local. There's a lot of local rapport with that law school, a lot of judges and folks in, in my community that go there. And it wasn't nearly as expensive. That was a high selling point. But most importantly to me, they had a part-time program. So I could work 
during the day, go to school at night and plug away at my degree. And they had the best one in my area. So those were all huge factors in deciding where to go. So when you got out of law school or when you graduated from law school, you went to work for a, what, the court system, like in your hometown or where did you go? Where are you currently working at? So I stayed at the same firm I was a paralegal with, and I transitioned from being the paperwork guy to being the paperwork guy and the guy that goes to court. And that was a good fit. It was funny because so the, I'm going to sound silly, but I didn't know there were so many types of lawyers. Like I thought all lawyers went to court and my knowledge was pretty much just television. And I'm, I do a lot of litigating. And so I'm also was quite timid before being in the service about public speaking. And so one like hard thing for me, but good thing that was fun is in law school, I just volunteered to do this trial. It was a, a case we were going to dismiss. It was a domestic assault case where the, the victim disappeared. This happens. My boss said, hey, just file this dismissal for this case. It's set for trial. I was like, no, I'm, I'm, I'll do it. I hadn't even had the basic skills advocacy, but you know, I watch a lot of TV. So I said, I'll do it. I was pretty much ready to throw up, but I muddled through that trial. It was kind of intoxicating. It was really fun, really scary, and really challenging. And, and I knew this was something I could really learn to love to do. And I wanted that experience early on because you start questioning when you're doing all this work of law school, what's the end goal look like? That was one of the cool things about my law school. They also had clinics where you got to actually practice what you were going to be doing. Because frankly, it wouldn't be worth it if I didn't know for sure that's what it was going to be like at the end. So I did the work. A lot of law school is challenging for the very sciencey math types, if that makes sense. I think veterans could really excel in law school. And in fact, a lot of my colleagues who are veterans did because we're much more practical minded. Like we can understand the theory of how things work, but at the end of the day in the military, it has to work in the field or who cares. And so that's how I approached law school. And I could easily weed out the nonsense from the things you needed to know. Whereas other students who had much higher qualifications than me, much smarter people than me in a practical sense, would be looking for the exact answer instead of just realizing, oh, no, 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 you just need to know both arguments here. This isn't real science. And I noticed the correlation between veterans in law school and getting that practically between the average students. And really, we weren't any smarter. It was just having that practical background to clunker down, know when we have to get through some kind of busy work stuff, know what to take seriously, know what not to take seriously to to better spend our time. What are you actually, so you work for the prosecutor's office, but you didn't go there originally, did you? Where did you go when you first got out of law school? Yeah, I stayed with the same office. So I'd work. So you were I, always working in the prosecutor's office then? Correct. I'll tell you that's one difference for me than many. Not knowing where you're going to work and you get out is stressful. Lawyers, at least it used to be, there's a high ratio of lawyers to everyone needed. That's starting to change immensely right now. Another Good thing going back to how to select law schools. I got a partial scholarship for military. That was huge. You got to check into that. They're typically pretty pro-veteran. And in fact, my specific scholarship was a Marine who went on the same path and set up a massive fund for any Marines that applied and qualified to get a certain percentage off your tuition right off the bat just for existing. So that was pretty phenomenal to have that help. For some people, maybe their end game is going into JAG 
there's a lot of folks you can talk to about that. We had a veterans uh, affairs office that was run by a guy who was on active duty and somehow making law school work. Don't ask me how, but it's good to know what your end game is going to be. So for me, I had the comfort of saying, this is my day job. As long as I don't royally screw up, I probably have a spot here as a lawyer. But my school in particular is very good at making sure they were focusing on that. So for example, those clinics, that was an opportunity for students to shine, to go work at a private law firm and actually practice, be in front of the judges in their community, see what they liked, what they didn't like, doing summer clinics. It was, I'm fairly certain my school had a higher employment rate than even some higher tier schools. What do you hope to do with this or where do you see yourself in the next five to 10 years? So that's a tough one. I I could comfortably stay where I'm at. I'll be honest, a lot of legal work like anything else is repetitive. So I get really bored of DWI cases. I take micro naps and not everything is as fun and exciting as a jury trial. You mm, have to, okay. It's less than 1% of the cases and a lot of it's procedural, kind of boring. But at the end of the day, what is most rewarding is you get to deal with people. You get to deal with people who've been at their worst, who've made mistakes. And on my side of things, you can actually have more mercy for someone than you can being a defense attorney. You can say, ah, you know what? I totally get how this happened, why this happened. Let's get to the root of the issue. Let's fix that and make sure you're not back in court. So contrary to popular opinion, not all prosecutors are there to throw the book at you and nail you against the wall. Many of us are like, okay, that's the most satisfying part of my job where you find, okay, a guy who is an alcoholic, who maybe had some PTSD, who has other issues, those start spilling over into the criminal system with things like drunk driving or getting in bar fights. And if you don't talk to the person and get to the core of that, you'll never know. You'll just read some paper and say, bad person. And I don't like that kind of criminal justice. That's not how I approach it. So I I find it satisfying almost every day in court. I get to talk to either defendants directly or their lawyers, hear the other side of the story and try to come up with what's the best way to serve justice in this particular case. Earlier today, you said I was lucky enough to get you in between court sessions, but earlier today you were teaching a course to police officers on, I believe it was testifying in court. Can you talk to me about that and and what you exactly were teaching them? Yeah, this was one of the really cool experiences from the military. I totally stole from my really good staff sergeant at the time who was my watch commander. Every morning briefing session, he would turn into a mini training session and he would teach his layperson's courtroom testimony. He'd make you get on the stand and just grill you like a phenomenal defense attorney. Police get very little training on that. I remember from my time as an MP, I loathed prosecutors more than defense attorneys because I never heard from them other than the word, no, you can't do that. I've really been mindful about increasing communication with the police officers we work with in our cities and doing as much training as possible. I was lucky enough to get a gig with the Bureau of Criminal Apprehension in my state. They're like my little state's FBI. And the class itself is actually a boring topic. It's on the breath test machine we use in Minnesota, but I come in to teach the courtroom testimony portion. So I give a lecture on how to testify, just the basics, what to expect, walk them through a direct exam, a cross exam. And then we do the fun part. We do live testimony and a colleague of mine, plays defense attorney and I play the prosecutor and we put them through a much more rigorous than real life trial to see how they do. 
And it's actually really good training. I think it's also probably the funnest part of a boring course, but it's a good time. If you were going to give advice to someone that was thinking about transitioning into a law degree that's currently serving in the military, what would be some of the things that you would say that they probably need to explore or um, research before leaving the military to help with the transition? So there's a lot of things before you transition. I think what really worked best for me, because I'm a people and relational person, is having a direct conversation with vets who walk the same path, take them out for coffee, pick their brain, find out what it looks like. It's like reconnaissance. You want to know what to expect and feel comfortable with it. That's half the battle because the nerves in something like law school are huge. And it's actually rather silly when you think about it. There's really no reason to have that much anxiety, but there's so much unknown and so much irrational fear about it. Talk to someone that's done it, reach out, Get to know them if you don't know somebody that's done it. Second, there's some just basic practical stuff when you're scouting a school. Many of them have weeks they dedicate to prospective students. So you can go there, you can ask questions, you can tour the campus. I'm really glad I did that. I thought about skipping it like, oh, I don't need to know that. I'll figure it out. But that was really helpful in cementing. Yeah, this is a big decision. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of effort. Reduce as many unknowns as you can. Think about what you want to do in the end game. That's really tough, but you want to know, have at least an idea. What do I want to do when I get out of here? What do I want that to look like? Am I going to be in a courtroom? That's actually a smaller portion of lawyers. Do I want to work on contracts? Do I want to work on legal research, writing? That's actually a bigger portion of lawyers. What field do you want to work? Start exploring that early. Talk to paralegals. Look at getting a lay job in the area you want to work in. And then the third way to kind of prep is to sort of introduce yourself to, I would say, the goofy academics of law school. You'll have to start prepping with the LSAT. And once you pass that or you take it, you will never do anything that silly ever again, probably in your life. That was my experience, but I had to hire a tutor to get through part of it. It was brutal and it's nowhere near as brutal as the bar exam, but at least the bar exam is relevant to your law degree. The the LSAT's not, but you want to know like what hurdles am I going to have to pass and at what stages. And the more you sort of prep for that, the less anxiety you will have because really a lot of, maybe it's not the best part of being a veteran, but hazing was a thing and, and that exists in the law where you'll have debates every year. Should we get rid of the bar exam? And lawyers are like, no, because they want to haze the new group. It's really just hazing. And once you see it that way, you can start to study for it for what it is and prepare yourself. The LSAT is just hazing before you get in. And you got to go through that hurdle and you want to make sure you can do it and you want to do it. Those are really important things. How was the application process? Is it as intense as one would think it is? Yeah. So it's like joining the military when the numbers are high, like they're going to dig deep I recall this from Marine Corps boot camp. I don't know about the other branches, but the recruiters are like the friendly, like whatever guys. And then because I was a naive 19 year old in San Diego with no sleep and not knowing what was going on, I responded like chunk from the Goonies when they put you in a hot room and were like, tell us everything you've ever done, all the speeding tickets you lied about. And I went back in this room and I confessed to all my sins and they were like, get out of here. This is ridiculous. The bar was like that, only slightly more professional. It was fairly brutal process. They want you to go and get all your driving record stuff and do all this digging into your past. And here's what I'll say about it. I didn't have any big stains on my record that I was really worried about. 
one funny one was I had a, it's the ticket said discharge of a firearm in a public park. That sounds horrific. What actually happened was I was home on boot leave and I was playing with some buddies, some kids from church with airsoft guns and an old lady in a suburb thought we were dealing weapons and the cops came and they felt they had to cite us. Trying to explain that to the board was not fun. So it sounded very crazy, very out there, but we got through it. Their big thing is don't hide anything. So I have a a close friend. He interned with our law firm, did a great job, and he was really nervous when it came time to, to sit for the bar. He had several felonies on his record from when he was younger. I wrote him a letter. I talked about his character. He is now like the poster child for reform, and they greatly and gladly accepted him to practice law. So I wouldn't be super discouraged if you have some things on your record. Just don't hide them. Embrace them. Run with them. And they really shouldn't accept you if you can't sit for the bar. There's very few law schools that I think are nefarious, but some of them will gladly take your money, give you a four-year law degree, and then you can't practice law because you can't sit for the bar. You want to know the answer to that first. And they do have a procedure where the board in your state is involved before you even go to law school, but make sure to be upfront and honest. I even had buddies that got in some trouble, get under a lot of stress in law school. I myself drank quite a few in late night study sessions. Uh, And I had a friend who made the mistake of having too much to drink and drove. So he had to go disclose that to the bar. He still was able to practice law, but you just want to be forthcoming with them because it's particularly damning if you get caught trying to hide anything. You had mentioned earlier that sometimes you have people that come in their court system that have PTSD and things. So do you see a lot of veterans come through the court system? I'd say proportionally, not a lot. And that might just be more Minnesota. Up there, no like major bases, at least not any active duty bases in our immediate proximity. But yeah, we do see a fair share of veterans. They do have veterans court in most of the counties I work in. There's a couple of defense attorneys that really advocated for that, that are veterans that have done a great job. And now the court system here has pretty much embraced it as a model. I can kind of go either way on veterans. And some part of me as a prosecutor, I hold them to a higher standard. Still, I still have that beat into my head that when you do this, you embarrass the uniform. Uh, Very old school logic. At the same time, I am a lot more mindful of the different levels of people who served. Like me, I was very lucky. I volunteered for everything, but I wound up in Bahrain, in Hawaii, in Kuwait, in South Korea, experienced a little bit of danger occasionally, but there are friends of mine who are really messed up from their service. And like I said, on a human level, when you understand that, you understand that, hey, maybe this guy isn't just out drinking, having a good time and driving. He's got issues that he's dealing with. And usually it's just, they haven't reached out. Close friend of mine went to high school together. He's a army combat vet. He worked in the court system for a while, specifically doing counseling through the VA. So sometimes that's what justice looks like. We say, hey, go use these resources. That's part of your probation. Jail is really a last resort for kind of the stuff I deal with. And usually when you get to know a person, you realize there's a reason behind this. What I don't like is when it's an excuse. Occasionally, very rarely, you'll catch sort of a stolen valor vet claiming more than happened. They'll say, I have PTSD from my training exercise in Kansas City. When you get to the bottom of it, I have a little less mercy for those folks. But at the same time, 
the goal is to try to find what's the root of the issue. So a typical day in court at a first appearance, the judge will say, is anybody here that's a veteran? And then they go through a separate process to see if they're interested in veterans court. And then they go through that whole different system. And often the charges will result in a dismissal at the non-felony level when the vet is successful on probation. So they end up with no criminal record, hopefully been connected to some great resources and dealing with those underlying problems. And the biggest part is just connecting with other veterans who know what they're struggling with. That's what a lot of those groups are. And I think just walking that journey and not being alone is huge for many veterans and seeing, oh, there's a whole court set up and we meet often and you're not going to connect with everybody, but you're going to meet some local people that get you and have that shared experience that you're not finding everywhere else in society. Yeah, I think a lot of good can come out of veterans courts and, and that gives you a second chance and sometimes a third chance to get your shit together. And as we both know, it sounds like your transition was pretty seamless, but not everyone has a transition like that. And there can be a lot of like intermediate legal issues that, that happen in between. So I think the veterans courts are definitely the way to weed those out and give people the chance to, to fix their lives on the path to success. I do have a question for you. Do people ever give you shit about being a lawyer? I give myself shit about being a lawyer. I should back up a little because I'm making it sound seamless. But one of the reasons I have compassion is because it could easily have been me in the system. As I said before, I mentioned I was a security guard. When you go from being a Marine, having a high intense job to being stuck in school, I graduated with 200 some credits for a bachelor's because they didn't honor any of the police academy, any of the stuff I did in the service. I was at a low point and I could have easily make have made some of the same mistakes that I see other veterans in the system for because there was like a depression that hit when you're like, how did I get here going to a community college? It's just, it's hard. And you don't see many veterans depending on where you're at. You're not exactly picking up the ladies when you're like, Hey, I'm a weekend security guard. And I I used to be a Marine. It's not that cool. And so you do go through that and you can see how You could easily make one of these mistakes. So that was a really good point. And yeah, the transition for me overall, though, was a lot smoother than I think it is for many folks. Don't get discouraged. Like I said, talk to other people that have seen the other end of it and try to connect with those that have walked the path before you because that can really help. Yeah, I think that's good advice too. I think that also that you have to know what you are looking for though to to seek those people out. So I think that can be difficult as well because like I got my master's degree when I got out in public administration and I thought I wanted to work for a nonprofit until I started seeing that nonprofits don't have any money and um, that's not what I want to do. I want to do something with a company that has money because I don't want to be begging people for money for the rest of my career, which is like a huge thing. That was something I didn't know coming out of the military that like people don't have that these organizations exist to help people that don't have any money because in the military, you just have all the money you need that's necessary. Yeah, I I do think it can be hard to transition when you don't know what you're going to do, but school's always, you know, a good option. And as you know, with the GI Bill, you know, you make money for BAH and it helps you a little bit work through what your transition period is going to look like. I know you have to get back to court and I appreciate your time. I just wanted, before we leave, I just wanted to um, know if you had any further advice for someone that's looking to go to law school, because it's just to 
me, it's just very motivating that you did Marine Corps and got your law degree. I think that's really fucking badass. <laughs> no, I do. It's really cool. I'm, I like lawyers, a lot of really good lawyers in my, in my life. But what would be like some last, last minute advice for someone that's looking to go to law school, some support or some last minute thoughts on and encouragements to someone that wanted to do this? Yeah. And so you and I are very different in that to this day, I still dislike many lawyers and that's okay. And that's partly because of the area of law I practice in. And it's all over the map. We're one of the least liked professions, and but that doesn't have to be you. I think part of what encouraged me is because I wanted to look into the window of other areas of criminal justice, and I took a job as a paralegal, I got to hear a lawyer I liked. I could hear him on the phone say to clients, do you want to make me rich or do you want to keep your own money? Do you want to spend $20,000 chasing after 10? Or it was just so honest, so practical, so fair that even though there were several people that were like, I don't want this guy, they'd come crawling back because it's pretty hard to find an honest lawyer in my opinion. And that really motivated me to say, hey, just I don't have to fit the, the stereotype that I have personally that lawyers are money grubbing sleazeballs. They're not. And believe me, you're not going to be rolling in cash if you take a public defender job. You're not going to be making bank as a municipal prosecutor, but you make a good living, it's respectable, and you feel like you did something at the end of the day, that's pretty great. It is really, really hard to know what you want to do and how to transition. I know a lot of vets that go, man, I should have stayed in. And I felt that way myself at times. And it's sort of a generational curse in a way. There's a lot of baby boomers. There was 5 million more of them than those in the preceding generation. And so I think that created a lot less opportunities for us. And so we spent some time in school, we do this and you can't expect a job to just fall in your lap. So that was part of the transition for me was you're not going to get your dream job if you just sit around and wait. And being a lawyer is not my dream job. It's a good job. I'm proud of it. I'm happy I did it. I don't have any regrets, but it's definitely not. Stop expecting that and just start making a plan and following through. Your job doesn't have to define you. That's a big part I think vets struggle with because we're very proud of what we did and rightfully. And you can keep that pride in being a vet. You'll always have that. But don't expect a civilian job to reach that level. It doesn't have to. It's not realistic. And you always get to be the vet. You always get to be you. And at the same time, I don't care if you're a janitor. That's a noble profession. Go do it. But make a plan and don't sit around and wait for the heavens to open and God to bequeath you with an amazing, perfect job. It just doesn't exist. And so I think I had to wrap my head around that personally to be able to say, all right, time to hunker down, time to go to law school. There's going to be things I don't like and things I do. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I think those are two great points. Number one, that your job does not have to define you because I do think as veterans, we feel that it should. And when it doesn't, that can cause some issues. And then also like for myself, like I do lobbying and people are like, oh, you're a lobbyist. And that automatically is like cringeworthy somehow, but like in actuality, like it's more like advocacy for me, you pick certain cases and you work on them and certain clients. And so it's not always a sleazebag thing. So so I agree with you in the sense that like lobbyists and lawyers aren't necessarily sleazebags, but some are. Thank you so much for your time today. And we appreciate having you on here and you motivated all of us to uh, take a look at our careers and what we're doing next. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me.
So thank you. Thank you for listening to Carry On Podcast. If you have any show topics or advocacy cases you would like to see investigated or discussed, please shoot me a note at podcastcarryon at gmail.com. You can also find us at Carry On Podcast Facebook and Carry On underscore podcast on Instagram. Stay tuned for future episodes where we will grill VSO shot ambassadors on the why of promoting a shot we know nothing about, the future backlash from doing so, and the human rights abuses that are ongoing for veterans 6th January defendants in DC jails. So stay tuned.